And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 249 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Thursday, November 12th, 2020. And with me, my good friend, my colleague, and the other Joe, who's definitely leading in the states of Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Georgia, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? <laughs> We're not talking politics. That's No, Although I don't think Our well. last episode was before the election, correct? Yeah. It was indeed. It was indeed. And things have changed it, markedly since things then. Things have changed quite a bit, and uh, they continue to change. It's on a second-by-second basis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So to speak. What the heck yeah. happens? Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, it, you know what was interesting? Uh, regardless of, of how, you know, where you fall as a listener, I, I received yeah. more emails and te- texts from my international friends than I've seen in forever because oh it's just uh, it really yeah. is it really is amazing to see that it's it, it was i mean yeah it was yes the the amount of communication that i received from people outside the united states uh was it, it was breathtaking quite frankly the the amount of 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 notes that i received and i i don't even need to sort of go into what the note said. I mean, they just, there was a lot of, let's just put it, this there was a lot riding on this. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know how in-depth we want to get with this, uh, but it it's true. I don't know what your experience has been, but my international experience was much more difficult from a speaking standpoint. When I, when I spoke before, you know, 2016, 15, ha- having the American on the speaking docket was a big deal. Uh, yeah. And it was less of a big deal after that. Now, I'm not saying it's a one-to-one correlation at all, but it did have something to do with it where, you know, the, our, our international friends just were not as happy with uh, with how things were going in the States. So it just is a thing. And we had to, yeah, we had to think, deal with it yeah. as speakers and traveling. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and it was, you know, I think in many ways – there we were seen as a forward leaning part of certainly the marketing practice right so when we would get up it was oh we're very interested in what the americans are yes. doing from a content marketing perspective and i think a lot of that luster really rubbed off um and you know it'll it's going to take some time to get it back again. I think you know. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I got yelled at in cabs, right? I mean, just you know, lectured yes, in, yes. In, in in cabs in Paris and 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 uh, um, and, and certainly in London. Um, and you know, <laughs> just you know, and you just sort of go, "Yep, I, what what are you going to do?" Well, it's a, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, I've mean? talked I've t- I talked to members of my my family who. Uh, uh, ultra conservatives in some cases. And I was just trying, you know, I'm trying, I'm, I'm not trying to get into a political conversation. I'm trying to tell them how my life changed as a marketer, right. and a speaker. Uh, once that transition occurred and it was not as pleasant. <laughs> I mean, 
I didn't as much look forward to going. I mean, because I always, you and I travel together how many places where we go do oh, yeah. speeches and workshops and whatever. And it, it, it was just a different experience and much more. So it makes you think twice about, well, I don't know if I want to take that gig. Um, might be, might be, I, I might just want to stay home because <laughs> it's easier. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, and it's one of those things where, you know, I, I'm, you know, I am generally pretty apolitical um, when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know, and, but when it started affecting, so I was, I actually had uh, challenges getting, uh, actually working with, there was a time during the last, let's call it four years, where things weren't great with our relationship with, you know, various countries. Um, and I, I had a gig in Moscow, quite frankly, get full on canceled, right? Just, just full on, you know, there was, it was like, nope, political climate right now for having an American over here is just not right. And so it's just not going to happen. And that it was it was weird. It was just very weird. Yeah, I didn't think it. I didn't anticipate that um, happening at all. Yeah, but, you know, it did. And um, and I guess the other thing to talk about here, besides the the political climate, is uh, I can't. <laughs> no, I, I honestly cannot believe that we've been doing two hundred forty nine of these things. And well, since when did we start? November of two thousand thirteen. But I was on a I did a speech the other day and it was a Q&A and the question was cuz I brought up this old marketing and what we you know what you and I have been talking about and somebody typed in and said I'm so sad that you stopped this old marketing. And I and then on the it was that came in from the discussion and then I was talking with right. Len who was who was running the discussion and I'm like and Len's like oh okay so and so says you know, really sad about this old marketing ending, and I'm like, it's not. We've been we've been on for a year. Yeah. Like, oh man, it's amazing. It's like that. It's a really good testament. And by the way, I, I take it, this all on myself because I was really the one that <laughs> said I'm going to stop. It is your fault. It is my it is fault. Absolutely. But I had no idea how how much more difficult it would be to just let people know that we're loyal subscribers and listeners know that we're back on. Well, it just, it, you know, we often talk about the cacophony of noise that you have to deal with no matter how good your content is. And I'm certainly not patting ourselves on the back here. What, I'm, what I mean to say is that if you're trying to est establish yourself, once you get established, you know, and, and you get out there, you know, if you go, you know, away for any amount of time, this is, I mean, what it speaks to is your, your, evangelizing the consistency thing, yeah. right? You know, if people come to depend on you being there at a particular time on a particular day and one day you're not there, they may never realize that you came back. That's exactly right. And that's what it's, and that's what happened in a lot of cases because yeah. we're still trying to I mean we're getting closer, but we'll, we're still trying to scratch back uh, you know, the rest of our audience. That yeah. and it's just so the the learning from all this is don't stop. Kids. <laughs> don't, yeah, yeah. Don't, Kids, don't, don't stop. Don't stop. You know? Don't. Or if you're going to stop, stop. Or so if you're going to stop, just <laughs> you know end it and say, yeah. because restarting it, like if you put anything on a hiatus, and actually I've had, I've talked to a lot of people recently, especially in the media industry, 
that say, oh, you know, for financial reasons and resources and we had to put people on furlough, we're stopping this site or we're going to stop this newsletter or whatever. And then they're saying, and then we'll bring it back. And I'm like, no, yeah, you won't. Good luck with that. I said, yeah, well, good luck with you, that. I said, first of all, you're probably not going to. So don't kid yourself. Se- second right. thing is, if you do, boy, have you put yourself in a horrible situation. If you, the plan was to keep it going, keep it going. And figure out the resources so you can keep it going. Because once you turn off the light switch, might not come back on. Do you have you seen? Did I don't even know if we, we talked about this on the show, and then I promise we'll get to the news, folks. Is uh, but this actually is relevant. Um, that some of the shows like Serial and some of those really successful podcasts, what they're doing now is when they launch a new show, they don't launch it. They launch it simultaneously, right? So they launch it once on the the uh, you know on the new name and the new feed and all of that. They also launch it simultaneously on the old feed. And so if you're like if you listen to some you know seven part series and you were like wow this is amazing, you'll get the new show on that old feed for a certain amount of time, and then they'll put sort of disclaimers in there saying hey listen you know after a certain amount of time we're going to stop this so go go subscribe on the on the new feed. I think that's a genius. Well, I move. thought it was. I, I, I thought it just stayed on the old feed. Like I don't know if you listen to Malcolm Gladwell revisionist history, but he has seasons. I don't think he's in his fourth or fifth season right now, and it's all on the same app. It's just, it, there's no. It's just like us. It's you know two forty seven, two forty eight, forty two forty nine. It's just like season one, season two, season three. No, I mean they're different. They're completely different podcasts. Like they're like once a crime series, and the next one's going to be a political series, and the next one's going to be a murder mystery. And but it doesn't stay. But it, it would make sense for me to stay unless they're going to change names. It would make sense that it just stays on the same. It is. It's a new name. It's a new show. It's new people and everything. Yeah. Yeah, And what they're doing is to make sure that they can bring some of their audience over and don't lose it. They're actually putting it on the old feed Uh, and then putting disclaimers in there saying, hey, listen, this is going to switch over. So you need to you need to. It's sort of like the, you know, on the, you know, when uh, when you would move one of your TV shows to a new time slot. And what they would do is they would actually run all these commercials during the old time slot saying, hey, it's been moved. Come over to us and see us on Monday nights, you know. Uh, that's interesting because what so what revisionist history does with that is they'll do sneak peeks. So he'll between yeah. season four and five, yeah. they'll go sneak peek on oh, our new show, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And then they run that episode. Teasing it out. Yeah. So. But I like I like that. It's yeah, it's so interesting. And of course, in the news, we've got some audio stuff to talk about too, from a news standpoint. I don't know if you want to talk about the news today. We could just let's do the it. news. Oh, you want to do Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I didn't know if you wanted to yeah. talk about. Well, of course, I want to talk about the news. <laughs> this is we've got lots of news. Like here's the thing. Other than the obvious news, which happened over the last week, there's been a lot of business news been. that happened. Yes, there's been quite a bit here. So we're going to open up, open up rather, with our top of the news segment here, which is one story that sort of sets the theme, if you will, for Joe and I's discussion in this wonderful little episode. And yeah, big news actually in the world of acquisitions. Uh, the headline comes to us courtesy of Business Insider although a number of outlets are obviously uh, reporting on this. 
And the headline is a big welcome to Morning Brew. Uh, do you subscribe to I Morning Brew? I absolutely do. Yeah, I do. Absolutely Brew wonderful. Brew. Yeah. Yeah. E- email newsletter that is just fantastic here. Well, uh, Insider, uh, of course, the parent company of Business Insider, is now buying a stake. Uh, in Morning Brew, basically acquiring the company. And it opens up by saying, hello, some exciting news. As the Wall Street Journal, Vox, Axios, and other fine publications have reported, Insider Inc. uh, is acquiring a majority stake in Morning Brew, the publisher of the super popular daily business email for young professionals. Morning Brew co-founders Alex Lieberman and Austin Reef and their team will continue to run the company, which will remain a standalone business within the Insider family. They'll also continue to produce Morning Brew's publications, and podcasts. Like Business Insider, Morning Brew offers business news in a convenient format that people love. Um, I would say yes to Morning Brew. I'm not so sure about Business Insider, but all right, let's you know, I'll give them a little bit <laughs> yeah, of a exactly. shout out there. Uh, anyway, way, exactly. the article goes on to talk through a little bit more um, of the numbers of subscribers, um, two and a half million to be precise, uh, and um, and then basically ends. And there's some other coverage out there, obviously, that you can Google foo up, uh, which will talk through, you know, some of the, the numbers and the acquisitions yeah. uh, details that they didn't cover here. So what say you, Mr. Polizzi? Good idea? Bad idea? Um, good for the Morning Brew crew? Well, if, the, if that was the goal, if the exit was the goal, they did fantastic. I mean, what was it? Just three years? Whatever. Quick. Yeah. Really it's a, quick. It's a meteoric rise. Really, really sure. quick to yeah. sell, out, sell yeah. for, I think the number was $75 million. That's what we know of. There might be more in, uh, in the, on the back end and all. I think the things that I learned from this that we've been talking about on this show is the power of email. I mean, how many years have you and I been saying that, you know, don't forget about email. Opt-in, especially with all the privacy issues going on, is is so critical. Um, the other thing that I've learned, uh, where we all thought back in the day, the email newsletter uh, du jour was headline, abstract, headline, abstract, and that's not the case. It seems like if you look at the best newsletters around or the ones that are, are really, you know, got the best open rates and the most growth and subscriber base, it's all in one email, all the content. Now, there's links out if you want more detail, but basically everything's there. So if you go and you open a Morning Brew email, you get everything you need and you don't have to click anywhere. Yeah, uh, it's, a good, it's a good email. It's a really good email. They do a great job. They've got a, a point of view. They've got a personality, sense of humor, whatever, you know. So it's, it's – and they do – and that was purposeful. I mean, they hired journalists that they said had, a, had to have a strong sense of humor. Uh, and uh, and most of the uh, subscriber growth it comes from their reward system and referral system, which is it's, it's around. You know, if you get so many people to sign up, uh, you get some swag, and the CEO will send you some emails and all kinds of stuff. So it it's really amazing what they've been able to do. And um, and emails not and, and even people will today say that oh email must have topped out. No, no, it is. It is. We're still in this growth phase of email newsletters and their their consistency in sending it. And I guess the last thing that I loved about this model is Morning Brew is now a full fledged media company. They have diversified out. They have emerging tech brew, retail brew. They have a business casual podcast, marketing brew. So they have diversified out. But what they did really well is they focused on just Morning Brew. One thing, yep. 
And then once they got that up and running, they got their minimum viable audience, they started to grow revenues and profits, then they diversified out. And this is this is the major mistake that most people make, and we've talked about it at ends, but people diversify too fast. Enterprise marketers diversify too fast, almost immediately. But if you look at successful media companies like The Morning Brew, they don't. So that's key. Yeah, it's it's critical. And, they, and you're going to... You know, they've built a content brand and they can expand that now and they can expand it into events. They can expand it into so many different things. Um, and because they have the audience and they, and now they've got the sort of infrastructure to be able to, to do it. And so only good things ahead, I would suspect. Yeah. I mean, how many how many areas can they go into with the morning? Brew? Oh, I mean, they can I go mean, in all on, kinds right? of brews. Cannabis brew. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> whatever. Well, whatever brews. Well, there's that. Yes. Yeah, there's that. And then there's also sort of the formats as well, right? I mean, you know, the, the, it's not, you know, not lost on me that you go look at the, the, the headline and the picture on Business Insider and, and what it is. It's a picture of uh, Alex and Austin on the set of the Today Show, you know, that t- TV, TV may not be far behind, right? You know, their own Netflix show or their own television show. And we'll speak a little bit to this in just a minute, yeah. but, but you know, that, that to me is, is now that you've established yourself as a viable content brand with a viable audience. Well, now, you know, now the sky's the limit, right? Now you can really start leveraging that to, to draw in, you know, multiple, multiple formats, topics, you know, all kinds of things. And by the way, uh, we've talked about the demise of local newspapers forever. This is a really good model if you're a local newspaper. Like if you followed this model, you could be very successful. If you said, I'm going to, we're going to do this in the Cleveland market, a little bit of snark to it, all news, a lot, some of our own content, some of it we're curating, uh, you know, it would, and, and yeah. you're basically you're taking your costs down significantly outside of audience acquisition costs. Yeah. Big risk. You know, I mean, I, you, I, I, I see them, I, you know, I see those publishers sweating bullets right now going, you mean shut off the website, shut off the print and just go email. And you're going, yep. And they're going, OMG. Uh, that is, that is, that makes me sweat, you know, but you know, it's, it's, it's certainly a, a, a way to, you know, at, well, here, I mean, that's a nice segue, right? It gets to uh, the, the next story yeah, that we're going to cover here, which is, uh, so we'll move to now our new segment, which of course are articles from around the web that Joe and I have selected for you in our wonderful curated way, uh, which is basically us sharing emails with each other. <laughs> and true? Selecting hey, only the this? best. Hey, how about this? Okay. Well, only the best. Um, but it's speaks to, so uh, just to your point, uh, the New York Times uh, says digital now is subscriptions are its biggest business. Uh, And this comes courtesy of, uh, the irony here is sort of not lost on me either, courtesy of the New York Post, which makes you, these days, makes you go, huh, really? I'm not so sure I believe this, but all right, you know, it's New York Post and it seems innocent enough. Um, The article opens up by saying the New York Times reported surprisingly strong profits despite declining ad sales on Thursday and said revenue from online only subscriptions surpassed its print revenue for the first time ever. 
the gray lady, which, like most media, has gotten a boost in a quarter dominated by the presidential election and COVID-19, said it added 393,000 paid digital-only subscribers during the third quarter. Revenue from subscriptions rose 12.6% to $301 million, even as ad revenue dropped 30% to $79 million. That is amazing. Mm, It is amazing. Uh, And the article goes on to describe some of the ad sales challenges, as, uh, but also some of the increases in digital demand, um, and some quotes by the various people at, uh, at the New York Times. I, I think this segues beautifully with what you were just saying, which is, you know, they went all in on this and, and right-sized their business, and now they're coming out the other side looking brilliant. Right sizing is the key, and you've, we've talked about it many times. Yeah, and because absolutely. they were the New York Times, like most newspaper companies, were bloated. They were their margins were way too high for being a media company, but they were the only game in town for a while. That's and right. And then they weren't, and they aggressively moved all in with email again with this whole email strategy. Now you got to remember, we're talking about digital subscriptions, paid. Now, what you don't realize is how many free subscriptions they have that trickle out there into certain categories and ultimately upsell into the paid (laughs) subscription model. They've got like 60 or 70 different email newsletters out there right now, and many of them get over 50% open rate. It's fascinating. So if you want to see somebody that's perfected email newsletters in different markets, look at what New York Times is doing. Because a lot of people just think, oh, yeah, you, you get the, their daily email newsletter and or you're a paid subscriber. You get access to all the content. Eh, it's, it's, more, it's more complicated than that. But I think it's, no, it's, it's much more complex yeah. than that. Yeah. I mean, they've got categories, subcategories that you can subscribe to where you can combine them, where you can, you know, look at, you know, just get daily alerts. You know, you can get real time alerts. You know, there's it's the the amount of customization you can do is incredible which gives them amazing capabilities to do segmentation and and the kind of data that they get from those from those subscriber lists which is you know that's that's the true magic of this business right it's addressable audiences and and it's uh it's it's something that everybody every business can learn from in making you know in in making the sort of evolution to to um, you know to a content driven model. Well, I think the other thing to learn, and this is, I don't care if you're with a media company or you're a marketer at a at a small company, large company, there is ample opportunity for a paid subscription model. And it, by the way, when you think paid subscription, you don't need a lot. Like you, you might say, I mean, I remember back in the day when I worked back in the day. My Will, back in- what am I, Will Smith? <laughs> Um, <laughs> DJ Jazzy Jeff, the you're, you're malarkey. Yeah, exactly. That's what. Yeah, that's more me. Uh, back back in the day, where we worked with Agilent Technologies, which was then a part of Hewlett Packard, they we did a content marketing project to 150 people. Well, these t- yeah. types of programs, if they're really customized and super valuable, people will pay for them. Whereas you might have said five years ago, it was never going to happen. And that's what their naysayers to the New York Times digital subscription model said. Nobody's going to pay for news. Well, now we know they're going to pay for everything. They pay for Disney Plus. They pay for Netflix. They pay for everything. So there's a huge opportunity there for, for any brand 
to say, well, we want to ratchet up our uh, a relationship in this area, and we can do that and also drive revenues at the same time. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No. I mean, you and I are back in the day. <laughs> we're old enough to. We're old enough to remember. I mean, and I know you had this quote on a slide somewhere in one of your presentations or a presentation that was given to you, because I certainly did in the 2010 2011 timeframe, where uh, the the then head of uh, of, of 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 NBC basically said, well, we don't want to trade, you know, digital dimes for real dollars. Yeah. Right. And that digital dimes for real dollars quote, just sort of just permeated the media business and everybody was so afraid. And it basically put everybody into this very weird cycle where we started degrading the value of digital to the point where we just gave it away. And all that did was basically delay what was we see now in the evolution of digital and, and paying real money for actual digital content and right-sizing the business to Joe's point, you know, right-sizing the business to what it should be given the margins of digital. And, and it's just different. It's not better than, it's not worse than, it's just different. And that's the you know, you, you look at a company like the New York Times and then you start looking at the evolution of newspapers, local newspapers, which have been slower to come along and some other publishers and some other media companies who've been slower to come along to making these evolutions. And, you know, either because of shareholder value that they're, you know, petrified of losing or because of, quite frankly, it, you know, they don't want to do it on, quote unquote, their watch, you know, let the kid behind me, you know, sort of do it. You know, you'll see a lot of these businesses just fade away because they, they just they, they can't make the commitment to, to evolve. Well, I think the important point to this whole thing in the environment we're in, if you are yeah. willing to put a little bit of investment around an idea that will really drive value to a group of people, you've got media companies all across the world right now that are pausing. And we just talked about this, that are pausing or going belly up. Yeah. Uh, and, and you and we've talked before. Content Marketing Institute came into existence because the major media companies in the industry were on pause at the time because we were going through the financial crisis. They just were like, oh, okay, we've got to hold tight. We've got to hold on for dear life. Well, when you hold on for dear life, you give opportunities to all kinds of idiots out there, us included, <laughs> to do crazy things. Right. And that's right. exactly what we did. And I, I just right. think, that, so the, here's the opportunity, and I know it's tough if you're a marketer and enterprise where everybody says, okay, we got to batten down the hatches or whatever, but it's just a recipe for disaster in my opinion. So, and yep. create big opportunity, big opportunity. Big opportunity. Back in the day. Well, By the way, I'm on the, the New York day. Post site here. Do, Rite Aid just launched a new logo. I, it looks like a grocery store. That's like half... I don't know if you've seen the right a new logo type. Look at I, it if you can. Anyways, just like you put, do, you even have Rite Aids in California? Well, not really. Oh yeah, look at that. That's cute. That's, that's, that's <laughs> a nice little. It's like a little. It's, it's like I'm I'm going to take my plant and I'm going to smash it down with a wooden stick. Yeah, and I'm going to make some my... pharmaceuticals that will cure me of the COVID. Yeah, 
That's what it is. Well, yeah, it's a little, yeah, it, <laughs> it's, exactly it's exactly what it is. What it is. Well, they're trying to be more human and organic and all of that. So, well, it's either I'm going that. to, yeah, I'm going, or I'm going to go in and and get a stalk of celery and buy a jug of milk. Uh, yes, something and, like that. Well, which is you know, no no secret they want to do that I too, guess, right? I guess they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, speaking <laughs> of opportunities, let's move to our next story here, um, which is a huge opportunity here, and and this comes to us courtesy of Digital Content Next, uh, advancing the future of trusted content, um, which was a site that I really didn't know much about until seeing this story, and then looked around a little bit here. Um, interesting enough, um, and so the article is text to speech. Uh, is the audio opportunity that no one's talking about. And the article opens up by saying, audio articles are making quite a noise in publishing. See see what she did there? That's, I mean, it says, yeah, right? Okay. Anyway, podcasting, maybe hogging the headlines, but creating features and news that your audience can listen to is an audio opportunity that should not be ignored. While offering articles in an audible format is nothing new, this type of content is currently enjoying a massive boom as time-strapped audiences look for convenient ways to consume online media. In the U.S. alone, spoken word's share of audio listening has increased 30% over the last six years and 8% in the last year alone. And when multi-Pulitzer Prize-winning titles jump on board, you know that audio content is serious business. In July, the Washington Post announced plans to make audio versions of all of its articles. And a few months earlier, the New York Times acquired Autumn a a platform that turns long-form journalism into audio content. Uh, Other big brands using Autumn's audio service include The Atlantic, BuzzFeed, Wired, Rolling Stone, and similar platforms uh, are available, uh, some called Curio and another one called Noah. Um, And so the article then goes on to talk through all of the benefits and wonderful things around audio uh, from text. Uh, what do you think? What do you think? Is this, is, is this, as the headline promises, the biggest uh, opportunity that nobody's talking about? I don't know if it's the biggest opportunity, but it, it, it's, a, it's an opportunity. And it rem- <laughs> I keep going to examples, Robert, of how old I am. 15 years ago, when I was at Penton, we looked at whether or not we should take all the content at Penton Media. And we had about 46 different business-to-business media verticals at that time and take their key articles and and create audio versions of them. And then, but we just said, there's just not enough people that are going to listen and the production is just too much. Well, now you have lots of people listening and you have production that really is nothing now to do these things. And I think the whole, anything with speech and audio over the next 10 years is just going to be a huge opportunity. I absolutely, I think that this is, you know, I I don't know how big it's going to be. I don't know the different areas of monetization when it happens, but it's certainly true that people are typing less into search and they are listening to things more. We know that's happening. So all they're doing here is just they're taking advantage of a trend. They're not creating anything. Like we were back, back in the day, we were trying to create, (laughs) we were trying to create something out of nothing. Like, oh, would our, would our readers actually listen to our articles? Um, they're like, oh no, that's just there's just not enough technology there. I think this is a, an opportunity that, and that's, and I'm trying to learn more about this Zetlin model that they talked about, which is just fascinating. Where they're delivering the the um, the journalist writes the article, but will 
will read it themselves. So it's not they're not using an autumn like Washington Post is. The journalist is actually reading it and they package it up for paid subscribers, which I think is fascinating. They're not putting it on iTunes or anything like that. They're actually packaging it up as part of a digital subscription, which I think is there is another model that we were just talking about New York Times model. Here's another one that you could run with just audio because now there's enough people that prefer audio. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, if you're right, you know, to me, there are there are sort of two gating factors here, right? So two, you know, use cases, if you will. And one is, I want to listen, you know, and this really this article speaks to this, this use case, which is, I'd much rather multitask and do other things, you know, I'm going to cook dinner, or I'm going to work on something else. And I'm going to listen, listen to this article or listen to this news in the background as I as I do that. So it's sort of a I just want to list. I prefer to listen to this content rather than read it because reading it will, you know, consume too much of my attention, and I want to, you know, I, I want to be able to basically experience it in a different way. You know, I'm on a commute, I'm driving, I'm on an airplane, maybe someday soon, um, <laughs> or you know, I'm cooking dinner, or I'm walking my dog, or you know, whatever it is, right? I'm doing something else, and I want to listen um, to experience this content. That's one thing, right? And so this, but the, but the maybe even more important part of that is the discovery process, um, the search, the how do I get to this content, and we haven't figured that out yet. You know, as a as an industry, as a you know as a you know as a technology, we aren't very good at that yet. Audio search is still in its infancy, um, and it's good at finding something that. You know, that, you know, in other words, if I ask for a particular thing from, you know, one of the audio search engines, you know, whether it's Apple or Google or Amazon or whoever it is, I'm either going to get what they tell me, you know, is I should get. Or if I ask for something very specific, like, you know, play me, you know, XYZ podcast, uh, maybe I'll get that if I've, you know, enabled those search engines to have that skill. What isn't nearly as good is how do I find something that I don't know what it is yet? I was having this discussion with a, with a good friend of mine, Ian Truscott, uh, on his podcast, actually. And we were talking a little bit about this, this challenge, you know. And he used the example. It's like, you know, you go to an audio search engine and you say, well, tell me what the best enterprise CRM is. And the search engine isn't going to come back and go, well... There's a few you could consider. Um, let's see here. This one is based, and it's not going to do that, right? It's, it, what it's going to do is it's either going to give you the one that paid for the privilege of being there, or two, hopefully at some point when the technology is there, it will actually start to, you know, Google may start to look at things and start to extrapolate and start to then present you with an answer to that question. That's a long way away. And so I don't, I can't see this, you know, other than being an alternative way to experience content, and I think that itself, as is being evidenced by this article, could be its own boom. But I really can't see audio to text or audio from text being truly a sort of evolutionary or revolutionary way to experience content until we sort out the discovery. Right, and so we sort out the, the 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 linearity of the discovery of the way that audio is presented to us because it has to be linear because that's the way we consume it. 
So it's 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 a real challenge that I think is is that's what fascinates me. Yeah, but maybe maybe we're just at the point where we were with, you know, the first search was was in Yahoo directories and it was sort of hard to find things. Right. And and then we then Google came along and said, here's, here's a better mousetrap. I think we're we're somewhere in the Yahoo stages, right? I don't think we're that far off from audio discovery actually working well. I think the bigger challenge is, is that most of the content that's out there is textual. And that's well, not tagged that, that too. And then right? audio is not tagged well. But that's what these services are supposed to solve, right? In other words, you know, you, you look at a, a, a you know an autumn or or those kinds of things, and those services are supposed to, quite frankly, solve the whole conversion problem. You know, in other words, you don't have to have, um, you know, you, you you basically do it at scale, right? Um, and now, you know, whether it's a bot that's going to ultimately read this or whether it's, you know, voiceover talent that you sort of scale up through, you know, um, you know, <laughs> I see voiceover farms in the, in the future, you know, but, but however you do that, that, that will be the, that, that conversion is a, is a, is a critical piece of this. And, you know, if it's only a segment of, of publications who actually invest in that, then it's going to be, you know, it's, it, I think it's one of those technology. I mean, I can't remember who the analyst is that said this, right. It's like, you know, we often think the, you know, we, we, we think too soon about some changes and too long about others, or I can't, I can't remember the exact quote, but, but it's, um, it, it's that kind of thing where this kind of change I think is slower coming than, than is often advertised. Could, you could be right, but I, I think it's, it's not, Five years away. Oh, I do. I do. Well, you're older than I am, so. <laughs> well, by the way, yeah. by the way, there are many voiceover farms already. Many. I'm sure there are. You can go to Fiverr. Yes, I'm sure there yeah, are. You can go to voices.com. Yeah. You can go to all this stuff. I recommend finding a really good voiceover specialist and sticking with that person, but that's just me. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've look, I've considered doing it for my own blog, right? Just doing when you know it doesn't take me that much longer to read my blog and have it be available in an audio format um, than you know than 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 it would otherwise. So I, I've I've absolutely considered it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So uh, last story that we'll cover here uh, in this segment anyway is a really interesting one as well. And this one comes courtesy of Ad Age. Uh, And, um, you know, it's been too long, Joe, since we've had Beyonce on the show. You know, really, truly. Um, We need to have her on the show more often. Um, And so we would take a guest. If it was Beyonce, we would change our policy of actually having a guest. If, if it was Beyonce, we might. We would. Yes. Um, first guest. Absolutely. First guest will be Beyonce, and she's sadly not responded to our uh, our uh, <laughs> our outreach. Um, anyway, uh, this comes courtesy of Ad Age, as I mentioned, and the headline here is Peloton taps Beyonce for a multi-year partnership. Not even going near the weirdness of that headline, but um, okay. 
The two powerhouse brands, Beyonce and Peloton, are getting together to form one superhero team. Peloton, the popular fitness purveyor that recently reported a quarterly sales surge of 232%, has tapped Beyonce, the Grammy Award-winning singer who boasts 156 million Instagram followers for a multi-year collaboration that includes themed workout experiences, special free memberships for students at historically black colleges and universities in the U.S. Peloton Peloton and I both believe that the power of music can help uplift, motivate, and inspire those on their fitness journeys, said Beyonce in a statement, noting that she's been a member of the brand for several years. She's also the most requested artist by Peloton members, according to the New York-based company. Article goes on to explain a bit in more detail about the new partnership. And I got to tell you, Joe, the thing that sort of excited me the most about this uh, this news item is that here's a product company and we, you know, you and I have talked forever about product companies acting more like media companies. And if this was a deal from Disney or if this was a deal from Warner brothers, or if this had been a deal from HBO or, you know, anybody making a deal with Beyonce for a future slate of content that would include, you know, short form films, long form films, music, albums, you know, and, and appearances and work in other areas, we'd go, huh, yeah, okay, sure. it's another, that's Tuesday, right? That's, that's you know, but here we are. This is a product company. This is a product not just making a deal with a, you know, spokesperson. Uh, and in fact, they don't really even talk about her being a spokesperson for the brand. What they talk about is that they're getting this partnership together for content, for original music, original, you know, uh, exercise programs, and of course, uh, content and, and sort of her appearances um, at uh, some of their, uh, you know, some of the, the, the work they're trying to do with uh, historically black colleges and some of the stuff that they've announced um, other, otherwise. I also think it's fascinating, buried way, 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 way deep in this story is, uh, in fact, it's the very last paragraph uh, where they talk about they're trying to sort of move a little bit away from this lawsuit that was very, you know, not in the news coverage very much. Um, but there was a, they had a lawsuit filed against them because they were playing music apparently, you know, without licensing oh, yeah. it sure. from, from artists like Rihanna and Bruno Mars and Lady Gaga. So I would expect that this is the first of many types of deals that they're going to make uh, as a way to sort of begin to develop content that they own. You know, we talked about Quibi and their sort of failings to develop content that they own. Well, here we go. This is this is Peloton doing exactly that, right? They, I mean, I, I should say, assumably, they're doing exactly that. They're making a deal with, uh, with the artists themselves, not an, a record label, not you know, a media company, but making an artist deal directly with themselves in order to produce content that they will either have exclusive license to and or ownership of. And and I think that's pretty amazing. I, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's hard to fathom where this goes. Of course we have the Netflix doing that. Now we've got Peloton. We didn't think would be a Netflix of fitness, but it is. So you've got that. And then you're thinking about, okay, You've got a certain number of product brands out there that need to create unique content experiences. And how are they going to do that? For example, let's just throw out Ford Motor Company. Well, when you get into a Ford vehicle, what types of content experiences will Ford unique 
content experiences will Ford need to have in the very near future? A lot. Yeah. Especially when it comes to self-driving. I mean, it's it's the next, you know, it's it's the next fight for instead of fighting for the home where, you know, that that technology war is going on right now, the next one is going to be inside the car. So you I mean, you've got a number of these things that are going to happen and the amount of these types of deals that are going to start with companies we'd never think about is just it, it's going to. And I love the fact that Beyonce is doing this directly. I mean, this. Yeah, I think that, that's the amazing yes, thing to me. Instead yes. of with a live nation or something like that. Sure. I, I, or through her record company or something like that. You know, she's making this deal direct, which, you know, her her record company or however she's, you know, I, I don't have any, you know, intimate knowledge of the way her business is structured. They may be getting paid in some way. And I guarantee you there's an agent getting paid oh, somewhere. Sure, sure. But 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 the 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 important sort of headline here is this is a direct relationship with artist and product company. And of course, that has been around forever. Right. Spokespeople and, you know, you know. Michael Jordan and, you know, and whoever, your, your big celebrities be, sign a spokesperson deal. But really, that's basically just to get them into a commercial and say nice things about the brand. This is a content deal. This is a deal where they are going, to, you know, where Beyonce is going to be producing original music, original stuff for the brand as if they were a record company or a production company. And that's that's different. That's a different kind of arrangement. And the interesting thing here is, is that you can see this happening, you know, because this is not just a, you know, the, the big headlines, of course, come to this from a B to C standpoint. But you can start to see this happening in not only smaller B to C companies. There was an article that I almost put in uh, to the to, to this week's show about how B to C retailers are really encouraging their employees to become TikTok influencers um, and really start to take that idea of how can we start to build a employee base that has engagement, building audiences and all of that through social channels. But even you see this in B2B as well. You know, you see, I, I, I know of at least a dozen technology companies that are looking at relationships with influencers you know that have big presence and big audiences bloggers etc and striking deals with them to say not just you know here's an influencer deal say nice things about our product but rather we want to you know acquire your services to create content for us on an ongoing basis as you know as one of our evangelists or or, or something like that and that that is a new opportunity as well for B2B organizations to really consider is to start to build a network, quote unquote, of media operators who, you know, and, and start leveraging them for original content. Are you saying that uh, these companies should start building audiences and doing that through individuals inside and outside the organization? That is an original that's concept, yeah. sir. That's a radical thinking. I know. <laughs> radical 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 it's radical back in the day back in the radical. day that's the, the title of this episode back in the day malarkey <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh we should speak to uh speaking of back in the day uh our wonderful sponsor cmi yes absolutely and if you aren't aware 
content mark. I was not. I was not aware. I'm sure you're not I, aware. I have to admit. You're not yeah. really aware, I'm never aware a lot of the time. This is <laughs> just a general thing of you you not having general awareness. That's, that is correct. That's a whole different thing, and there's meds for that. What we're talking about is that... Tequila. Yeah, well, that's true. Uh, content Marketing World took place uh, about a month ago, and a lot of you might be thinking, hmm, I wish I would have attended back in the day, but <laughs> because... There is still an opportunity for you to get all that great content, and you might not even know it, but you need to go to contentmarketingworld.com, and you can get your all-access virtual pass and get all the great sessions, including Robert's, including mine, including all the workshops, including all the forums that you want to sign up for. Just go to contentmarketingworld.com, get your virtual pass, your on-demand, your all kinds of good stuff. And, uh, and I guess the one amazing thing about what happened you know of course it was virtual this year and you and i had a lot of discussions with some of the attendees the people were able to go to many more sessions this time obviously because you've just got more time and it's all digital and so there have have been some good things that have come out of the fact that content marketing world was virtual this year and all that great content is saved there's really good uh, helpful tools along with some of those things and uh, you know you should go sign up that's, that's all yeah, I will tell you that, uh, you know, th this was, I, I saw a good number of sessions that I would have totally missed, um, you know, were the, were the, were the event live and got to see those sessions for the first time. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's just wonderful, wonderful, good stuff. And I am happy to report from the data that we've gotten back from, you know, this, that a lot of those sessions were quite frankly, well, much better attended than even in physical, you know, because we don't have the limitations of a room size, right? That's right. You know, in you many cases, limited to 200 people in a room or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and so, and you would have missed that session even if you wanted to see it because the room was too full or whatever. So it's a... It, you know, there's a lot to be said for it having, you know, having the follow on demand uh, access to it because you get to watch it at your own pace and you get to to see all the stuff that you might not have gotten to see before. So, yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful value, I think. Absolutely. All right. Well, now we move to our empirically proven through our wonderful research division hidden away <laughs> in the hills of San Jose, uh, a wonderful, wonderful rants and rave section, uh, which is, of course, our most popular section of the show, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we've ah, still recounting Pennsylvania or whether we've actually won Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, shall I go first? Yeah, or go, you? go right ahead. You go no, first? you're on a roll, okay. my friend. You, you. All right. You well, go I'll ahead. go first. Yeah. I have two. I have two. Um, I guess they're both raves to it to a particular uh, degree. One is absolutely a rave. Uh, the second is, which I'll start with, actually, is a bit of a um, uh, sort of I just commentary more than anything else. Although I'm super happy um, for some people, um, and it is uh, one of the big news items of this week was uh, our friends at Adobe. Acquired marketing workflow startup Workfront uh, for $1.5 billion. And that is just a huge number. Um, of course, of the, for those of you who don't know, um, and the link we'll put to in the show notes, of course, comes from TechCrunch. Uh, and it leads and says Adobe just announced that it's acquiring marketing workflow management startup Workfront for $1.5 billion. Don't really think you get to be called a startup when you get acquired for more than a billion dollars, but 
We'll let that one go. Uh, and it was Workfront is 20 years old. It was founded back in 2001, uh, as the article says, making it a bit long in the tooth for a private company that has raised $375 million. Uh, it's worth noting, by the way, that $280 million of that was secondary money raised last year. So um, there's a lot of cash on hand, I, I suspect. Anyway, the article goes on to describe uh, the new arrangements. I just want to say um, I've had the pleasure of meeting and knowing Alex Schutman, the CEO there, a little bit. Um, and it's just I, I couldn't be more proud of those guys. I mean, they, the, the work that they've put in. Um, the company there, the culture there is just, you know, they're, they're one of the good guys, right? They're, they're really a great, wonderful company. And I'm just so happy that they're, uh, getting the exit that they so well deserve. I hope it works. I hope, you know, the Adobe marriage doesn't screw anything up. Um, it is a wonderful product. They don't pay me at all. So I'm saying this out of my heart. Um, and so just, just, um, I'm, I'm super happy for them and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a good move for Adobe. It's a great move for, uh, for Workfront and for customers of Workfront. It's, it's better news because now they're going to be, you know, the, the integrations will just be great for, you know, it changes the game mm -hmm. of marketing ops, I think. And those startups that are out there that focus on collaboration, workflow, uh, and operations and marketing, that, that's a, it's good news for them, too, because this is the first of, of many um, of the smaller, smaller companies. Anyway, good stuff. So the second thing I have is a definite uh, rave. Um, and I want to thank uh, uh, Joaquin uh, Detlev, who, who sent this over to me, um, knowing my love for Philip Kotler. Uh, and the history of marketing, of course. And Philip Kotler now has a blog. Um, here we are, 2020. Philip Kotler, the, in many ways, the father uh, of of modern marketing, has launched his blog at pkotler.org. By the way, um, and you can get to it by, as he says in his LinkedIn announcement, you can go to my site and click on the button that says blog. And the cutest thing about this whole thing, I have to tell you, is. It's a little bit like when your granddad does something really cool and you're just it's just so adorable that you that you just love it, even though it's it's just not that good. You know what I mean? It's just not that great. Um, and I'm sure it'll get better. But right now, his blog, quite frankly, is pretty much just links to his other stuff yeah. out there. Um, like he's got a blog post called see my 11 articles published on medium. <laughs> so, I mean, anyway, it's just, it made me giggle. It makes me happy. Um, of course his content is fantastic. Uh, and, um, yeah, Philip Kotler now has a blog, which is just awesome. So that's my, that's my rate. No, this, no, this is, <laughs> I'm sorry. This is my favorite one under the see my 11 articles published on medium. He has, he has listed the 11 articles, but he doesn't yes. have the links going to it. But if no. you want to go to them, you have to type the name of the article in the search box of Google or Google AOL. Or AOL. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so great. You know, for those of you still on AOL, if you go search AOL, exactly. you'll find AO his AOL. Medium blog. I'm, it's I'm, just I'm sure he has an AOL account still. Oh, I'm, gar I'm oh, guaranteed. Sure he does. Guaranteed. Yeah. Guaranteed, you've got mail. Exactly. Oh, jeez, those are those are fantastic. Uh, Isn't I have, it delightful? I yeah. have two uh, two quick raves commentaries. Um, one is from Yahoo Finance in Canada, which that's very 
specific site. Uh, it's called Can't Decide What to Stream. Netflix is testing a TV channel of scheduled programming. And what I think is interesting, so they're, they're testing this in France. And they're seemingly, because I think it's been a success, they're going to roll this out to other countries. And what's interesting, you you have Netflix, correct, Robert? I do, yeah. absolutely. So you know where they've added the play something underneath when you when you sign in? Yes. Okay. Yep. So basically, they will show you something random based on what you usually like to watch. It seems it's funny that we're going to, you know, I don't know what to watch on Netflix. Something pick something for me. So they're going to have actually a program direct channel on Netflix, and it's just interesting that we're going full TV uh, now with with Netflix, and they're just going to, you know. I could just see them having an action instead of you picking, oh, I want that. I want to watch Air Force One. You might say, I want the action adventure channel. And they'll just run them 24 hours a day. That's good. So it's just interesting how we've gone that direction. And, uh, and, and that some people prefer that because I don't, I don't want to search through all this and find it. Just show me, okay, I like this thing. Go. And you know what I'm struggling with these days is remembering. Like, you know, like I'm re I'm, we're watching uh, Queen's Gambit right now, mm-hmm. and that's a Netflix show. And, you know, we'll often be like, okay, let's, you know, oh, you want to watch Queen's Gambit? Right. Uh, wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Is that HBO Max or is that, uh, is that Hulu? Or, no. Exactly. Which one? Uh, you, know, you just, you forget where they are, right? Especially if you go a little bit of time between watching episodes and, um, and this whole trend of, by the way, of dropping shows week by week now, uh-uh, I don't like it. I don't like it one little bit. I, 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 I you know, I want to watch them. I want to binge. You want to binge so all this, one time. So you uh, like, so, yeah, so you don't like what they're doing with The Mandalorian I Disney do, Plus. I, I, do I don't not. either, because I when don't. I watched the first season of Mandalorian, it was already done by that time. So I watched That's them right. all in like three days, which is much yeah. better. Now I got to wait, yeah. and I'm like, oh, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. So they need to change it. Okay, so that's the one. I just thought that was interesting. The second one, this is my son brought this up to me, and my son is 17 years old, and he's on Twitch all the time. For those of you that don't know Twitch, it's sort of the gaming streaming platform, or was traditionally the gaming platform. But this article is from the New York Times. It's how Hassan P- Piker took over Twitch. And Hassan Piker is a 29-year-old progressive political commentator, and on election day, he basically streamed for 13 hours straight, uh, you know, basically showing this article and showing North Carolina and, you know, videos all the time and going through the whole thing for 13 hours and had something like, oh, I don't know how much I'm trying to find the number on it. 4.25 million people watch this thing or something, something crazy. And the point of this whole thing is, is that. Yes, it's interesting, and it's just that people, you know, want don't necessarily want to watch just TV. They want to watch their favorite influencer watch TV, which is which is kind of nutty. But the big thing is, Twitch is evolving from more than a gaming platform. So Twitch, yeah. owned by Amazon, I think that there's a lot of people. If you look at, I know AOC has been on that platform, had a, had a huge following on Twitch. More and more people are moving to Twitch. And I think if you are a brand you're looking for, oh, I want to start a content platform, which one? I think you could actually look considering maybe Twitch is something you want to you want to look at instead of saying, oh, I'm going to be a TikTok influencer. Maybe it's on Twitch. I think it's just a something for non-gamers to now consider. So there you go. I like it. I like it very much. Yeah, I, I, I think Twitch is 
going to grow and grow and grow, and it's ultimately going to become a you know a, a diverse uh, set of shows. And you know, I mean, in very in varying degree, it will go the way MTV did, right? Which of course started out as a music video network and then sort of evolved to everything but music videos. I could see Twitch doing the exact same thing, sort of starting out as a gaming platform where you watched other people play video games, and you know, five, six, ten years later, maybe doesn't even have that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, sort of, you know, sort of has evolved into something different. It'll be really interesting. But here, to watch, here's my sure. here's my here's my list before we close this thing up. I I, I just listed five of the key companies that really took the next step up when it, when uh, the whole pandemic happened. Peloton, Zoom, Twitch, Snap, Snapchat, Disney Plus. Those are yep. the ones that just a lot of people don't even consider what Snap's doing. I mean, Snap's earnings. Remember we I used to rag on Snap all the time. I'm like, "Oh, they're terrible. Sell that stock." And I was right at the time until it hit to like 6 <laughs> bucks, until it hit like 6 bucks and I'm like, "Oh, these numbers are turning around. They're really they've gotten away from the whole glasses thing. There is actually a thing happening here, and they went profitable last quarter. So it's yep. it's something else. There you go. Right size the business. Yeah, they did. Back in the day. They did. They did. All right, my friend. Well, what are you up to? I mean, I I, I know we're to, you and I are both going to be yes. not talking for a day here I, in the next couple of days. I think it's worthy to talk about what you and I, thank you, sir. Um, so, so Robert Rose and myself are part of Orange Effect Foundation's Silence for Speech Therapy program. And basically, this weekend, November 13th to 15th, we both, both committed to not speaking for 24 hours. I can't tell you how hard that's going to be. Uh, a lot of our friends are in it. You're in it. I'm in it. A lot of CMI folks are in it. A lot of my friends. Uh, my son, Adam, is doing it. My wife, Pam, is doing it. Um, so I'm, I guess what I'm saying is we, we've had hundreds of people already donate. That's wonderful. If you would like to support any one of us, please go to silenceforspeech.com, uh, silenceforspeech.com, and support the effort because there will be a lot of people uh, basically living 24 hours in the shoes of a child who has trouble speaking, speech disorders, and then all the funds that we raise go to children who desperately need speech therapy and their families can't afford it. So, It's awesome. Yes. I'm so glad to be a part of it. Thank you for and it's it's a I think it's one of those ideas that over time will will really start to work. We've had we got uh, Adobe and on 24 our two corporate partners that have put a lot behind this and um, really, really happy with the way things turned out. But we have to do the work now after the fundraising and actually not talk yeah. Yeah. for 24 hours. So there you yep, go. I'm looking forward to that. And and the good news for me is this weekend, uh, my Cowboys are on a bye, so um, they won't be playing. Um, so I don't have to yell at the television, um, which is uh, which is good. So I you'd can have to hold quietly. up signs, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Boo, you know all of that. Zeke, yeah. So that's you fumbled yeah. again, and that's a lot. That's to right. Write. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Thank you for reminding <laughs> Sorry. me. Sorry, so I love Zeke, lovely. but man, got the got the fumbling problems. Uh, you know, there you go. Yeah. All right, folks, that is it. We are signing off from episode number 249. Uh, And by the way, if you like this episode, and we know you did, uh, we're asking you to do two things, two simple things. Um, One is go find all those people that Joe talked about in the beginning of the show that don't realize we're back and go, hey, they're back. Um, And maybe uh, one A is go to iTunes, 
Give us a review if you haven't already, or tell somebody to go give us a review. Uh, and share it with that friend. Share it with that friend that either either doesn't was a listener and doesn't know we're back, or somebody new who you think might want to dig the show. Uh, we publish twice a month for any of you who are new. Uh, every other week, that may be changing here in the next future. We don't know. So stay tuned for hmm. some information on that. Hmm. Um, anyway, if in the meantime, between shows, you want to get more of Joe Polizzi, you can get that at joepolizzi.com. Uh, and he has a wonderful newsletter called The Random, which is not that random. It's actually very, very cool, interesting stuff. Uh, that you will find very interesting. And if you're interested in more content marketing practitioner, sort of content strategy, all of that kind of stuff, you can come to my website, which of course is contentadvisory.net. Uh, of course, hashtag us up with story ideas, uh, lovely compliments, all that sort of thing. Everything we talked about today will be in the show notes that we'll publish. Um, and until we meet again, remember, it's your story to tell. We'll tell it well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks on This Old Marketing.